relax, you got nothing to lose. What do you think I'm about to show you? The female of the species is more deadly than a male. Show me a movie, you can say it again. Just wait till you see what I did at the end. The female of the species is more deadly than a male. Hello, everyone, and welcome to More Deadly, the Director's Pet, where we speak with the women-identified directors who are making the horror films we love so, so, so much. More Deadly is a trans-inclusive podcast where we celebrate the work of cis and trans women, as well as non-binary filmmakers who are comfortable being included in a space that centers the work of women. Joining me to do all of this good works is my beloved... My my uh, so adored co-host, the best friend you could ever hope for, the one and only Ariel. <laughs> you are so sweet. Thank you. Hello. <laughs> it's true. It's true. I, I'm like, is mutual. I know, like, you know, when I have a little buzz, I get a little lovey-dovey. Mm-hmm. The yes, same is true when I get a little tired. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm like, I always love you, but I'm feeling like especially mushy. Aww. Plus, we had like a very special week, which we'll be talking we did, about, yes. you know, in coming episodes, but also starting with this one. Like, this is such a, this is such a fun experience. Anytime we get to talk to these directors, um, it's a delight and an honor, and then once in a while, really special films come along that you're especially excited to talk to the the, the creators of, and and this was one of them. So yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, it was a really exciting interview. I'm really happy that people are going to get to to listen to it because I think Claire Cooney, the director, is has some really great things to say. Yeah, yeah, really inspiring stuff too. Mm-hmm. Like if you know, I there's a part of me that hopes that like there is somebody out there listening to this that you know is here to hear these women inspire them and like does come away from some of these feeling like oh maybe I can go make a film or I can't and I feel like this is one of those episodes that is going to be if that's something you're looking for out of one of these episodes it is here for sure yeah um, I love that that would be so cool if somebody got sort of an idea of how to start because of the advice these directors give out yeah Absolutely. By the way, we'll be talking about the film Departing Seniors uh, <laughs> by director Claire Cooney. But before we get into that, Ariel, anything new and exciting in your life you want to share? How is the new apartment? All that good stuff. Yeah. Um, I don't have anything really exciting to share. Uh, the apartment's going well. I don't have a bathroom ceiling right now because the yeah. apartment was leaking into it. And it my ceiling started raining on me, essentially. So so that's been interesting. But uh, I mean, good news. They had to stick a camera in the wall to like figure out what was going on without having to right. do even more damage. Yeah. No dude in the wall. Hey, yeah. yet. Yes. I mean, you <laughs> did just put in like a little doorway for him to get it and like scuttle, scuttle oh, into. Uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> I, I have to say, though, for the record, only you would be like, apartment's going great. I have no ceiling. Like in the same <laughs> sentence. In the same sentence. Listen, my standards apparently are like rock bottom at this point. <laughs> well, I'm glad that for you, it's good. That's I love that for you. <laughs> I'm hoping you get a beautiful Sistine Chapel ceiling out of it. It will all be worth it. Yeah, yeah. We'll see. <laughs> all right. All right. Well, we'll see. I'm sure that there'll be some new shenanigans soon enough. But uh, what do you say we get into the meat of this episode? Yes, let's do it. Okay. So before we go any further, Ariel, can you please let any new listeners know how we handle spoilers on this show? Yeah. So we do it a little bit different on More Deadly Director's Cut. We are going to do our very best to avoid spoilers, but we do touch on some things about the film in the interview that you might consider a little spoilery. So just proceed with caution. We're going to do the our usual thing where we talk about the film and we give a quick review, but we will not spoil it in that part. No. So. And the director does say something a little spoilery, but she gives a warning first. So you'll know if you like really want to duck out. Although I would honestly just keep listening. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So, Ariel, tell me a little bit about the filmmaker and uh, the making of this film. So Claire Cooney is an actor, director, producer, and editor who grew up in the suburbs of Detroit. 
Um, in high school, she acted in plays and musicals, but she was worried about financial stability. So <laughs> just sort relatable of content. Yeah. 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 <laughs> um, so when she graduated, she went to Notre Dame for college and she decided to study psychology instead. But while she was there, she kept gravitating towards like the theater department and film classes. And she ended up taking a bunch of classes. And then on a, the, on a whim, she auditioned for a play her freshman year and she got cast. So that was really exciting. And so she kept auditioning and kept getting offered leading roles. So she just kept doing it. Huh. She also, Amazing. Um, yeah, she also managed to direct a musical while she was there. And then she ended up accumulating enough credits so that she could graduate with honors with a double major in psychology and film, television, and theater. Honestly, that makes perfect sense mm -hmm. to me, having seen this film, because it is you can feel that sort of skill set and mindset in so much of this movie. Oh, yeah. I mean, there's so much going on psychologically with the different characters. I think it makes perfect sense. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So after that, when she graduated, she decided she wanted to move to Chicago to pursue acting. But she came from a family of lawyers who were a little skeptical of her plan. <laughs> They're like, I object. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Ultimately, though, she did her own thing. She made the move and she ended up graduating from Chicago's Steppenwolf program, which is like very prestigious. Unfortunately, she found that she kept getting written off in auditions because she is 6'1", and she was mm. way taller than, like, most of her co-stars, and apparently that was a problem, I think especially in some, like, romance scenes. Yeah. Yeah. So she also started to realize that the kind of subtle acting that she likes to do, a lot of, like, facial acting and stuff, didn't work that well in the world of theater, that mm. it would, like, read better on film. So at this point, she started working in film and she started acting in short films and then she got a job as a casting director and then she wrote and directed her first short film called Runner, which is a thriller about a woman who goes for a run and witnesses something she can't run away from, which sounds really cool. Ooh, that sounds really good. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so she made a couple more short films, most of which she paid for out of her own pocket. And she made New City Magazine's Film 50 list in 2019 and 2020 for being one of the, quote, 50 screen gems who shape Chicago's film scene. Mm, very cool. And honestly, not that surprising. Having spoken to her, she's a very, like, you get the sense of that she's a very impressive and thoughtful uh, person. Yeah, absolutely. So after seven years in Chicago, she kind of got the itch to work in a bigger market. And so she packed up her stuff and moved to L.A. Unfortunately, she did it right before the pandemic hit, which is a little oh, bit no. of a bummer. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh, no. OK, so in total, she's been acting for about 15 years and she was in that movie Widows. Do you remember that? We went to see it with Matilda. Yeah. Yeah. That was a great movie. Yeah. So she was in that one. She also had a five episode arc on the new 4400 reboot that came out a couple years ago. Oh, very and, cool. Yeah. And she was recently in an episode of Chicago Med. So even though she's directing now a lot, she is also still acting, which is pretty cool. That is really cool. Good for her. Yeah. So while prepping for this film, she watched a lot of movies that had vision scenes in them, which obviously makes a lot of sense, uh, including Final Destination and Minority Report, which I, that wouldn't have occurred to me, but oh. it actually makes a lot of sense. Yeah. You know what? I need to revisit Minority Report. I have I not seen it since it first came out, but yeah. I'm thinking it would hit real, real different in oh 2024 oh, yeah. than it did at the time. <laughs> yeah. The way technology is now versus when it first came out. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, and then some of the violence in the film, not like the slasher stuff, but the other violence that takes place around like mm -hmm. some of the bullying and stuff. Mm -hmm. She got inspiration for that from the movie Let the Right One In. You know what? Mm -hmm. That makes sense because there's the opening scene felt like an homage to the Let, Let the Right oh, One really? In. Oh, really? Okay. It's been a really long time. Do you since not I've remember that how that movie ends with the pool scene? oh my god you're right ding ding oh, ding, ding ding yes oh, yeah. yep yep oh i was I thinking about that, that movie yeah, yeah yeah that's really cool apparently there were a handful of other movies that she was also inspired by or makes references to in the film but she actually talks about a lot of that in the interview so i'm going to leave that there and Good. you guys can just listen and unfortunately they had to film it during covid 
So that presented a lot of challenges. Apparently. <laughs> apparently at one point, one of the actors like went somewhere and ended up getting COVID and then they couldn't bring them back to set, but they had like a whole group of extras there on set to like film one of the big scenes. Okay. And so they had to like change a bunch of stuff on the fly to kind of work around that, you know? Mm-hmm. So yeah. The film premiered at Chicago International Film Festival on opening night on October 11th, and now it's gotten a limited theatrical release starting on February 2nd and is available to rent on VOD. So as for what she's up to next, though, I only know a little bit because she hasn't talked about it a lot, but she is making a horror comedy that she said is reminiscent of a murder mystery like Clue, but much more horrific. Which sounds right up our alley. Mm-hmm. <laughs> sounds amazing. And she's also attached to direct an unnamed horror thriller, too. So we'll have Ugh. to keep an eye out. Yeah. We love a master of horror. I know. This is so <laughs> exciting. I love it when, you know, like we fall in love with these women's films and, and the work that they do when they're in the genre. And it's so sad when they don't continue in it. So to see that passion and, you know, staying in the genre is really, really cool and exciting. Yeah, it is. And I love like revisiting people throughout their career. Like we've gotten to do that a few times and it's so much fun to see how people are progressing and like the new Mm -hmm. ideas that they're bringing. Mm -hmm. And watching the evolution. Yes, exactly. And I'm sure you can look at that across genres, obviously, but there is something about staying in horror and watching how they craft scares and like all of those kinds of things, like the apples to apples of it is very it's enjoyable to see. Yeah, it is. Plus, uh-huh. t- like, to be honest, we love horror. So, like, yeah. we want to see more horror. Yeah. And if you make a straight drama or something, we're less likely to be your audience. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Let's just be real. Right? <laughs> awesome. Very, very cool. She is, she, I mean, I I didn't know all of these details before we spoke to her, but, like, it all really tracks. Yeah. Um. Yeah. I mean, that's why it's so interesting. I feel like doing this research or like hearing you, you know, talk about the background of a director, too, because it often like lines up so well, like things they've experienced through their life or things they've studied, you end up seeing in the film. And I love that part of this. Yeah, so do I. Absolutely. All right. So I'm going to start with this. My synopsis, which is not spoilery. It's just sort of like first act information to kind of give you the setup and then like you said we'll do like a non-spoiler review and then it's interview time so this film follows a character that i am high key obsessed with already (laughs) right (laughs) his name is javier and he's sort of like the token gay at his like small town school which means he is the coolest person there in my opinion but is the target of billy bullies in this world of both the homophobic and perhaps closeted variety but he does have some things going for him in his life he has an awesome best friend named bianca and a little bit of a burgeoning romance with the hot new kid in school named william However, that doesn't mean everything is great for Javier. And in fact, one of those bullying incidents goes too far and he ends up getting like he he ends up getting injured. And that's not good, but it does have a surprising side effect in that it unlocks some of his psychic powers. So along with giving him the ability to see like people's painful memories and his bestie perhaps painting in the nude. <laughs> yes. <laughs> He also begins seeing visions of this masked killer who is like stalking the very bullies who are making his life miserable. The question is, what does he do with these powers? And is it too late for him to do anything with these powers? And I'm not going to say anymore because that's pretty much where the film takes off. Yeah. All right. So I have been talking. Your turn. (laughs) What did you think of this movie? (laughs) Okay, um, I did not know what to expect going into this movie. Like, we got sent screeners, but I hadn't really, like, delved into what this movie was about. I was so pleasantly surprised. Mm -hmm. This movie is so much fun. Mm. It has this really cool conceit, like you were talking about, where the main character is having these visions that help them track the killer. And I really love that because, honestly, lately we have been getting a lot more of these, like, horror mystery um, slashers, you know, like all this scream. And while I love that, like, don't get me wrong, that's like one of my favorite subgenres in horror. It is cool to have like a twist on this that makes it a little bit different. And then also this movie is like full of really cool queer characters. And 
I love Javi so much. Like he's yeah. so funny. His facial expressions are hilarious. I feel like he has a really good comedic timing. And this movie isn't like wall to wall laughs or anything. But when he says things like it really made me giggle a lot. But also his friendship with Bianca is like it's so sweet. They're so funny together. I love how supportive they are, but they also kind of call each other on shit. Like, mm-hmm. it feels like a real genuine friendship. Do you know what I yeah. mean? Yeah. Because mm-hmm. a lot of times, I don't know, I've seen plenty of movies where the friendship, like, you're like, mm, they wouldn't actually be friends, you know? Right. Right. Yeah. yeah. But it's also just, like, funny and charming. Like, the characters are really charming. Yeah. Some of it is a little hard to watch because there is this element of like bullying and homophobia and stuff that make Mm -hmm. it a little difficult. But I feel like because you get the fun slasher stuff, because our main characters are so charming and funny, it like tones that down and makes it more, I don't want to say palatable because that's not the right word, but like... Less punishing. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly Mm -hmm. it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then beyond that, I loved the message that bullying can twist you you know, and and turn you into something you don't want to be. Yeah. But also like friendship can save that, save you from that. Like that's really beautiful. And I love that element of it. I would have loved even more like creative death scenes and like more blood. But honestly, this movie is just a ton of fun. Mm -hmm. I'm with you. I was actually really surprised by this movie. It's so funny. Our friend Matilda, who, you know, is on Zombie Girls, hate slasher i know, I know. <laughs> and so we were we were just driving and i was like yeah we, we were talking about this and she was like oh slasher i saw you were watching that i was like no 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 <laughs> here's the thing this is the slasher you actually want to that's watch. actually a very you good point you would like this yes. slasher because it is a slasher with a ton of heart and a mm-hmm. ton of and a deep deep investment into the internal lives of its characters yeah which is not always the case of the slasher. And that's okay. Sometimes it is just, uh, you know, it is just set pieces of people getting killed. Like Thanksgiving was a ton of fun. Yeah, loved that movie. It was great. It was, I mean, it did, it's but it's just, a little, it touched shallow. my heart. Mm-hmm. It's, but it is, it's a perfect version of that kind of yeah. thing. This is something else. This has elements of a slasher, to be sure. Masked killer, you know, teenagers being hunted, stabby stabby, all that stuff, right? <laughs> yeah. But that is, it is more like what is playing out in the background of this very interesting, mm-hmm. like supernatural coming of age film. Yeah. It's incredibly, it's the sweetest slasher I've ever seen. I know. <laughs> a big part of this, as you have touched on, is that friendship between Javier and Bianca. It is so beautiful, so grounded in reality, and like, but also complicated and in ways that friendship is. Mm-hmm. But at its core, no matter what, it, they there's no dramatic tension about whether or not they're going to be friends or if they're good friends or right. any of those things. Like those things are locked in and solid as friendships are and should be. Mm-hmm. Um, there is not a, a toxic friendship here. There is an incredibly healthy friendship here. And like that make, keeps it out of the realm of being like weird gay tragedy porn. You know oh, what I mean? Yeah, 100%. Because, yeah, there are, like, upsetting things that happen and, mm-hmm. and things that happen to, like, some of the gay characters. But it's not about that at all. And you're no. right. It's not punishing in that way. So I feel like you can still watch it and have a really fun time, even though some of those things are happening in the background. Yeah. And I think some people may struggle with the fact that it is not a, it is not the stereotypical slasher yeah. formula. Sure. Like, it is definitely present but secondary it feels almost like a b plot until the end of the movie (laughs) but it is saved by as you said the xavier character ignacio dia silverio is a freaking star yeah get he apparently was cast in chicago we'll hear about that in the interview get to la ignacio (laughs) right (laughs) you have it you have so much charisma and so much like skillful comedic timing there is like stars are the people that you fall in love with on site i was so charmed by him he is such a lovely nuanced lovable character that you and it's important that you like him because oh yeah he is so central to this film but yeah he is fantastic i am obsessed with javier and you will be as well 
Also, uh, Irene Roach, who plays Bianca, uh, who we saw previously, we talked about previously because she was also in Knives and Skin and Perpetrator. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I think she's her best in this that I've seen her so far. She got to actually do a lot more and she is like her character is so nuanced and fun and funny and like if I had known her in high school would have been like high key obsessed with her. Like just the quintessential weird, cool art girl that I would have been like friend crush obsessed, obsessed, (laughs) obsessed, um, want to consume. And so like, she's fantastic in this. And so together they're, they are the heart of this film and they really are so great. So yeah, this is the slasher for people who don't think they like slashers. It's rooted in character and it really is not afraid to take its time and linger in those character moments. We spend like, there were times where I was like, wow, we're still, we're, she really wants to talk about the relationship between these two and like what's happening with yeah. them. Like there are long beats. Like there's this one scene where they're like sitting on a lawn and the, the slasher is like in the background, right? Mm-hmm. But they really have like a fleshed out conversation. And I was like, oh, this is the priority of this film. Right. And I kept I kept expecting it to cut away and it just sort of stayed there and like really like took its time and luxuriated in the character stuff in a way that I kept expecting because the formula is different for us to wrap it up. Like mm-hmm. this is the info dump and we're out. No, it was not. <laughs> it was like very much rooted in sort of a dialogue between two people. And it was to me really elevated the film. Um, so yeah, it's sweet. It's funny. I dug it. It's on VOD right now. Do yourself a favor. Definitely check out Departing Seniors. Would you say the same? Absolutely. It's great. All right. Well, enough fangirling. Let's get into our interview with Claire Cooney. So as I was saying before we started, we had so much fun watching Departing Seniors. Uh, it is such a fun classic slasher in some regards and then this totally exciting modern queer like celebration of friendship and I don't know like this coming of age story there's so many elements to this um and I understand you've made some short films previously and this is your first feature I'm curious how are you feeling about you know it's about to be seen by a huge audience how are you feeling in this moment I'm super excited and also very nervous at the same time because, you know, this is a film that was a love letter to horror fans, slasher fans, et cetera. But it also, is a, just like you said, uh, first of all, thank you, but it's a, it's a very human film and it's very friendship focused film and it's a coming of age in lots of ways. And so I think in that way, it has so many different um uh, tones and genres in there and that can be a lovely thing if folks are willing to embrace it but I know some people are like well it's not straight up horror then or it's not straight up this or that and so I think it's like it's for folks who are looking for that fresh perspective on a slasher or a thriller or a horror or etc you know and so I think for people that that like kind of seeing uh, a fresh perspective or a twist on things and are willing to go along for the ride and open their hearts as well. They're going to really, really enjoy it. But of course, it's always scary to be opening a film and be like, oh, God, please, please like it, you know. Um, but so far, <laughs> so far, so good. People have seemed to like really had a really fun time and have grooved with what we're p- putting out there. And I feel so proud. Oh, I'm so glad amazing. to hear that. Yeah, Yeah, that's exciting because I really didn't know exactly what to expect going into it, like Rachel was saying, and I was blown away by how many layers there were to your film. And I think one of the things that really resonated with me as somebody who did not have an easy time of it in high school is that the main character in your film is like a bit of an outcast and he's bullied throughout the movie. Was that something where you were drawing on personal experience too? Yeah, I so uh, Yanni Gelman, who plays Mr. Arda in the film, uh, he and I, before he came on board, we had this like long Zoom talk just kind of about what the script brought up for each of us uh, and kind of what we're bringing to, to the script. And he was bullied quite a bit growing up. And so I have a stutter. I've had a speech impediment my whole life and I've been in speech therapy for it for a long time. And um, so growing up, like I was mocked constantly, you know, like just constantly. I'm also six foot one and I've been really, really tall my whole life, which is I've learned to embrace that now. Um, But 
growing up, I was like the really tall girl that never got asked to, to dances and ne never, I kind of just stuck out like a sore thumb. So I was just like really tall, gangly girl who kind of stumbled over her words a lot and got made fun of. I was fine. It wasn't like I got beat up. It wasn't like I had no friends. I was fine, but I felt like an outsider and I felt different. And so I think I brought that approach to Javier and Bianca. I think that they're okay with who they are, but they are also mm -hmm. outsiders, you know? And um, I think I really re related to the character of Brad in some ways in terms of feeling like you have to be one thing and you're feeling like internally you're a different thing and you're at this crossroads. Um, and it really appealed to me that in this film, obviously our heroes are kind of the outsiders we're rooting for and the ones where we're really drawn to, but every character has some complexity or some secret or something they're ashamed of or something that they're afraid of so that there's no one character that's one dimensional. That's so true. I mean, tr Brad is such a tragic character for mm -hmm. a lot of reasons. I mean, the, I, and what I do love is that this film, sort of your main character is out to everyone. But then mm -hmm. there is this other character that is not ready to be out, not really, he's still very much on that journey and in a lot of pain yeah. around it. I'm curious if, why you wanted to include sort of both of those perspectives in this story. Yeah. So I have to give all credit to that to Jose Nateras, who wrote it, uh, who uh, he is someone who uh, he's a queer Latino man, and he is very proud of that and very open about that. And I, uh, I think in high school, he wishes he was more like Javier, you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. And I think the modern high school experience, like right now, I do think not everywhere in the country or the world, but in a lot more of the, the country, it's okay to be gay and it's okay to be to be queer and it's becoming more accepted than it was when i was in high school or when jose was in high school to be more out and proud about it you know um but uh, i don't that's still quite new quite quite new mm -hmm. and i think it still is a personal challenge and uh it's unique to every person and so i think I love the duality of having a character who is out and really open about it and a character who's like, I'm not sure I'm there yet. I'm struggling with this because it, it embraces both of those, right? It's like, great. If you feel comfortable and you, then there, there is no need for this to be a big plot point. There's no, no need for this to be a big, sad, sob story or struggle. But also if you are having a hard time, that's also okay. And we can also embrace that and show the humanity of that too. Uh, Cause I think we're at this transition point where we're not all moving at the same pace and not everyone's at the same level of comfortability. And so I think it's, I think it's a perfect um, combination of factors for where we are culturally right now. I agree. Yeah. I well, that's so true agree. because I think, you know, if you are struggling with coming out or accepting who you are, then you're going to feel seen by the Brad character and like understand his perspective. But there's also going to, I think, be catharsis and seeing Javier living so out and proud. Yeah. Yeah. Really and I cool. think, and I think like, you know, uh, a lot of times queer stories have always been um, tragedies or uh, the point of the entire film is about the coming out, you know, or, mm -hmm. um, you know, or, or the shame or the struggle or the pain or the violence that comes with that, that choice. And I think this is much more like, it's part of the story, but it's not the whole story. And so like, right. if you are struggling, we see you and, like it's part of this entire high school journey and part of growing up and discovering oneself, but it is not, we're here to have fun and have a horror film too, you know? Yeah. So it's kind of it's able to do both, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, and it's also awesome that, I mean, so often in slasher films, especially I feel like the queer characters are relegated to like comic relief, the kind of funny best mm -hmm. friend or something or victims, you know? Right. And so it was great to have a gay teen as the protagonist was there something yeah. specific that made you want to tell that story in a subgenre in a subgenre that generally ignores those kinds of characters? I mean, I think that that's what drew me to it. I think like do, do, I think I, I'm interested in anything that is a twist on the familiar, you know, or yeah. is circumventing a, a, a norm or a cliche. Uh, and so I think Jose's script had a lot of um, complexity. Uh, and as you said, like layers to a genre that sometimes can have one dimensional characters or can right. lean into sh to shtick, you know? And I think a lot of the 
humor comes from sometimes those slapstick characters or those like rough sketches of what a human being would do or say, you know, those high school cl cliches of the dumb jock or like the, the bratty Ollie girl or the slut or the, the sarcastic person or the alt person or whatever. And so I think I thought what, what a cool challenge to take all those archetypes, but flesh them out and also hopefully maintain humor, right? Cause the danger that comes with fleshing out those stereotypes is that they lose their lightness and they lose their humor and their fun. And so it's like, well, how can we give them dimension and also have fun with it at the same time? That was the challenge that I think I really wanted to focus on. Um, and I think if you cast the right people that have a layer of um, authenticity and like groundedness, and they're able to play to the, the full room and have comedy like that. That's golden. That's where the gold is. <laughs> yeah. And this cast is so fantastic. Really. Yeah. I, I loved the cast. The casting is so great in this. Like everybody in some ways kind of defies archetypes and other ones kind of feel very much at home in a slasher mm -hmm. film. Um, and it's also really diverse, which is exciting to see. I, I'm curious, was that, did that come through the casting or was it always kind of your intention to make sure that there was a lot of, of diversity? Yes. And it was both. Uh, okay. It was for sure. <laughs> it was in the script. It was like, like our lead, he is a Mexican American queer teen. And then uh, Bianca was written to be a woman of color. We were open to, to, you know, more spe specifics there. And then, uh, the, re the re rest of the ensemble, there were certain characters we knew needed to be white. They just felt like white characters to be totally up front. Right. And then um, sure. and then a few of them was like, this could go either way. Let's see who we find. Um, and so Pascal with Nikki casting there in Chicago. And I, li I lived in Chicago for eight years. I love Chicago. And I have worked with them for um, uh, a lot of my life. And so I went up to them and I said, can you please help me cast this film? And they provided us with the most amazing Chicago actors. Chicago is so great, has so many like little gems that you're like, why are you not in every movie? You know, like just really brilliant people that are kind of under the radar, which is what I think we wanted for this movie. We, we didn't want any kind of super recognizable names. We wanted it to feel like you're meeting these high schoolers. And so uh, they did an amazing job with all the Chicago casting. And then Ignacio, who plays Javi, we found kind of at the 11th hour um, before we're shooting. And then Yanni oh, wow. Gelman as Mr. Arda, we also did not cast him from Chicago. But those are the only two that are not Chicago people. Well, you got very lucky with those castings because they, yes. especially Javi, it's, he's so central. I mean, he's not just a lead, but I mean, you have to buy all of these layers and that yeah. the degree to, I, when I was watching it, I, I looked over at Errol and I was like, he's so likable. He's, he's so, so likable. I love he's him. So I'm so invested in this character. It's <laughs> yeah. wild. But uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, the thing that's great about him is he has this like a dork ability and he's also vulnerable and he's also funny. Yeah. And he also just like, he makes surprising choices. And that's what I loved about his audition is he just made weird choices. And I was like, this kid's a little kooky. And I think he's going to be a really fun person to, to build a movie around. He's basically like, Hamlet. He's in every single moment on screen. There's not yes. a minute where he's not there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 He's great. Cause you're right. I mean, he does make interesting choices. I think especially with like his facial expressions, it adds so much, especially when he's being funny, like he's so goofy, yeah. but then also you completely buy into all the emotional beats too. Yeah, and I mean, absolutely. the movie is just so funny in general. It really made me laugh a lot, especially with Javi and Bianca. They're so lovable together and so funny but your film also goes some really dark places. I mean, there's suicide and, you know, a lot of homophobia in there. What was mm -hmm. it like trying to balance the competing tones? It was tough. I mean, I, I, it was funny because on set, you know, um, there are some days where it was like, this is a lighter scene. And then some days where it's like, well, we're actively talking about suicide on set today. You know, uh, I remember I turned to some we had you know it was a crazy day uh yanni who plays mr arda he came in to deliver uh, a monologue to a classroom of students about suicide and um i had to turn to the class of background actors and i was like oh right like 
I need to prep them. Like, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They're not, they haven't read the script. They don't know what, like the, what's about to happen here. So I was like, okay, I really want to make sure there's a trigger warning for these kids. Like, because we, and we cast people that were like 18, 19, 20 to be our background too. We wanted everyone to be young. So for a lot of these kids, I mean, I remember when there was a suicide at my high school, um, a couple, like, there was like a couple right in a row and um, it was affecting. I think it's it's something that everyone kind of goes through. And so I didn't know where these kids were in their journey, if they've experienced something like that or not. So it was definitely a delicate balance to specifically direct background about how to bring emotional stakes to the moment and yet not go so far into the conversation that it's going to be upsetting to someone. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. For our leads, like they had a little more time to read the script to kind of know what they were going to totally get into. They knew that with every moment about suicide, there's going to be a joke that undercuts it, you know, and that yeah. that's kind of the dark comedy of this film. And that is what I think, a lot of shows about m modern teens do like euphoria is like it's dark you know like there's not always going to yeah. be the uh uh you're not going to always have time to grieve because you have to go take your final you know like so there there's this there is a level of um trying to reflect i think what being a teen is today whereas you have to like live with something like school shootings all the time just hovering over your head and still make jokes and still go to class um yeah so I think, long story short, the tone was really tough to achieve, and it just took a, de a delicate balance, both in production and also in post. We found a lot of the, the rhythms and the comedy as well in post-production, -pro and if we felt like something was kind of lagging, then we'd bring up the, the humor, and if we felt like it was a little too funny and wasn't really paying enough respect to the moment, then we'd bring it down. And so that was good to have like multiple takes to be able to kind of mm. pop, pop, uh, choose which tone in what moments was needed in post-production. Oh, that's really cool that you were able to make yeah. some of those choices afterwards too. Yeah, for yeah, sure. Definitely. There's this one line where, sorry, go ahead. <laughs> no, no, you, 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 please. I was going to say, this is one line where Javier, I uh, won't go too far into it, but when people see it, they'll know. He kind of is in a serious moment. All of a sudden, he goes, "You have no idea," and this is it's this big comedic <laughs> like break. And he did this in this really weird way. And we had a couple takes where he had a more subtle, like "You have no idea," much more relaxed. But all of a sudden, it was like that. In that moment, we needed that release. We needed that tension release. And so that was fun to be able to choose. And the break's gonna happen here, or the laugh's gonna happen here. So it was fun to be a conductor almost behind the scenes and get to really decide when the laughs get to happen and make sure you've had enough time to grieve before we allow you to laugh. Oh, I love that. That's so interesting. I mean, I, I think that when we envision movie making, it's always the what's happening in the day of. I think right. you forget sometimes about how much movie magic actually happens after the yes, fact. So that's quite a lot. Yeah. fascinating. <laughs> so you talked a little bit about how you worked with your extras on those days to kind of take care of them. But I'm curious if and this is something I always wonder about directing when you are taking, asking your actors to go to like pretty dark places. How do you balance getting the performance from them that you need and taking them those places with also taking care of them as people? Because mm -hmm. at the end of the day, those are characters versus people. So how do you, how do you find that balance? It's tough. I mean, I remember one part in particular, my friend Cam uh, Cameron, who plays uh, Trevor, he had a really intense moment. And we were we were about to have to go to lunch. Like we have to break at a certain time, or else there'll be uh, penalties with SAG and all that kind of stuff. So we right. cannot just be like we're going to push through because he's in the great emotional spot here. So we're going, we're going, we're all set up, and he's going for it, and he's getting there, he's getting closer. And I, and I I generally like to be really close to my actors, specifically with emotional notes. I like to get uh, to a place where it's very intimate, so where they feel like right. they don't have to look at me. They don't have to be talking out loud to anyone else. I'm going to come in and say, that was great. I think we could increase like you're feeling like this. And this is why you're feeling like that. I think that I think if you want to uh, do one more time, remember that you just came from this. And so you're probably feeling kind of panicked. So I almost like I remind them of like the given circumstances, what they're just coming from, what they're about to go to. I'll, I'll give them suggestions about where they, their mind might be. I don't say things like be sadder or be more angry. I think it's more effective just to remind them 
what just happened and what might be going through their heads. I almost kind of provide right. some subtext for them. And then I give them a beat and then I'll say, okay, whenever you're ready or like, take your time, we're rolling, you know? So I try to really let it just sit for a second. Cause I know for myself as an actor, sometimes I'm like, I need a breath, you know? I'll also sometimes say, if it feels false, if you start talking and it feels like you're acting, start over. Yeah. Like, just take your time. Take your time. We're here to record. You relax. But with Cameron, I felt so bad because he finally got to a good place. And I was like, we have to break for lunch. And he turned to me and he had like tears in his eyes. And he was like, are you serious? And I was like, oh, no. I can't buddy. And he was like, are you serious? And I was like, let's take a walk. And, I, and he, he had to walk it out. And I like walked with him. And I was like, I'm going to give you the time after lunch to get back here. I'm really sorry. And it was good it happened to him because he's my friend and he trusted me because I could see some other people being like pissed off. <laughs> so, right. <yeah. laughs> right. Oh, my gosh. That's intense. Yeah. I love it. <laughs> yeah, that's interesting because you are really asking a lot of people when they have to do these really emotional scenes. So it's it's interesting to hear that you're taking care of people behind the scenes because I know that in the past that hasn't always been done for actors. And I'm sure that sometimes has long lasting effects. So. Yeah, it does. And I think that each person needs a different amount of care, right? And so that there's times where, you know, a uh, couple of the actors, either because I have a personal relationship with them or because they're older or because they just aren't as sensitive to certain moments, I I, I can call out like, hey, uh, that and they'll almost know what I'm going to say. Like, there'll be a shorthand and there'll be kind of a quick exchange. Whereas some folks, I'm like, I need to get right there. I need to check in, see how they're doing. I need to see if they need anything, if they need new water. And then I'm going to give a gentle note and then I'm going to tell them to take their time. I'm going to move away. So, and that's something you can only learn while working with people. And so there's going to be right. at least the first couple of days, some trial and error of like, this person does not like to be coddled. This person needs to be coddled, right? Like, so there's, there's that, there's that thing. Um, and then you kind of, yeah, I think it's, um, it's like by the end of set, I was like, I feel like a mom. Like I really felt like I knew my different kids and what they each needed and, you know, <laughs> and trying to take care of people as best I can while also being like a stern mom sometimes of like, get your act together. We're late. Let's go. You know, um, it feels like very much a, a parental vibe at times on set. In yeah. a good way, I think. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Not a bad parenting, hopefully. <laughs> Yeah, you know, when watching your film, because it's a slasher mystery and this kind of exploration of bullying and navigating high school as a queer kid, especially, it reminded me a lot of like Scream and The Dead Zone, which I think you reference in the movie, and even like Mean yeah. Girls around the bullying stuff. Were there specific tropes from those types of movies that you wanted to lean into and other ones that you kind of wanted to maybe modernize or give a refresh to? Yeah, absolutely. You hit several things that we were really uh, excited about. Uh, Jose sent me a whole spreadsheet of like references in the script. And they are, some of them are really overt and some of them are more uh, casual. So some of them we, we were brought in through the way we filmed it, uh, whereas some are directly said, right? So like the Heathers obviously is a major mm -hmm. reference point in the film. Mm -hmm. um, Mean Girls, for sure, in terms of its style of like that quick back and forth and the way in which um, horrible things are often dismissed with humor, that's pretty major. Clueless is like directly referenced at one point. Javier says that that was way harsh, B, which is like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, and then, uh, and then like, the dead zone stylistically, uh, I was really inspired by the use of the visions at one point, uh, the hospital beds on a fire when he's seeing the vision of the fire. I kind of yeah. stole that in terms of when Javier is having a, vi a vision about something happening, something physical around him will also like be a manifestation of what he's seeing. So if a character's, you know, uh, head is bleeding, his head will, will bleed. We'll see his head kind of like bleeding. And that was a good, great way to show that um, he's feeling what his what the characters are feeling when he's inside their brains. You know, he might not literally be being be beat up or, or killed, you know, but he's going to be experiencing some of that pain either emotionally or physically. Um, so that was something I definitely borrowed from, uh, Final Destination and for sure Scream. Scream is a huge one. You know, we were really excited to have our own mask to bring into the the grand tradition of having a masked killer. You know, we were really excited about that. 
but in terms of tropes I wanted to avoid, you know, I, I think with a lot of those films, I think that some of the characters are, um, um, you know, I think like I kind of said, they can be a little more stereotypical. We wanted to shy away from that and make sure that each character we discussed had an underbelly of huma humanity or pain or heart that kind of gave it a, a, a little twist. Uh, and then, yeah, it's not the the final girl. It's the final friendship. It's the final, mm. you know, it's, it's not, it's not one person kind of surviving alone. It's like these outsiders who, you know, who have only each other. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. I love that. And that duality kind of plays in to the mask itself that you brought up the mask. Mm -hmm. I love the mask. I think it's a great sort of like mask of opportunity because it makes sense that it would be where it is. But I yeah. also kind of feel like once you can, I won't spoil the end, but like there, it makes sense because the same sort of duality is happening mm -hmm. on the mask is happening in the person. Um, yes is that just sort of a happy accident or when you were coming up with sort of the designs around that, were you like, is that something you were thinking about? I mean, yeah, I think it's to some extent a happy accident in terms of, you know, I think that ideally I wanted all the characters to have that dim dimensionality to it, including the killer. Yeah. Uh, and mm -hmm. so that was just kind of a big part of uh, what I wanted to bring to the film overall. But yeah, it was always meant to be that the comedy and the drama, the classic high school mask, just a more stylized, a little more chilling, yes. a little more horrifying version of it. You know, if that mask was hanging on my drama club bulletin board, I'd be freaked out every day, you know? Uh, so it's a, it's a little bit more spooky than your standard comedy and drama mask. I think it's like, actually, I have it here. Just a little bit more grotesque, you know? Uh, so, so amazing! Cool. <laughs> um, <laughs> Right, yeah, it was definitely a collaboration to get that exactly dialed into what we wanted it to be between myself and Jose and Lalo, who was the one like molding and painting and designing it. Like we got to a point where we were like, well, can the smile on this side be a little more crooked than can the, <laughs> you know, you know, it was the whole thing. But I love it because then if you cover up one half of it, it really is scary. And then the other half is like, yeah. is happy but you're like why why is he so also happy? scary <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> i love it i love it <laughs> that's so cool i mean one of the other things that i know you touched on this a little bit but that really made this movie special i think was the friendship between javi and bianca they are so funny and so sweet together and just things like her being mad at him for not telling her that he was sleeping with this boy yeah. or <laughs> or even the way that she's willing to go on this like almost like car chase, you know, because he's had mm -hmm. this vision um, that nobody else believes is real. So I was just wondering, is that something where you were drawing on personal experience? Like, did you have a close friendship like that growing up? And also, was it important to you to show these queer kids kind of banding together against these bullies at the end of the movie? Yeah, I think, yeah, I think that it's important to depict like that ride or die kind of quality in a friendship um, that where they can kind of talk smack and they're not going to get offended uh, and they're yeah. just each other. They're, they're each other's person, right? And I think yeah. in a society that puts so much emphasis on a romantic partnership, that can be confusing, especially if you're a kid who's figuring out your identity or you're queer and you maybe don't know... Uh, who or where you're going to find your person, like how or, or where, where you're going to find your person. It's not going to be as simple as boy meets girl and then they go off. You know, it's just like, if you're going to have a more complicated story, the pressure from society of like finding your person and falling in love, is a lot. And I think um, a platonic friendship like theirs is just really beautiful. And ultimately that's something that um, keeps people healthy and alive, especially when they're going through hard times. So I think it's like leaning on your friends. Um, and so I think that's key. Uh, I mean, I had, I know high school is a time where you get to just be really, really close with your friends. Your friends are like, you're everything. You're on the phone for like 10 hours. You know, you're up all night talking to your friends on like AOL instant messenger. Like that was my, <laughs> um, so yeah, I definitely had a really, really tight friend group in high school where it felt like boys, like the in, interested in dating was such a second like priority my friendship was 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 the main thing so that that is huge and then at the end when you mentioned kind of 
banding together, I, I did kind of, I, I like the idea of um, these two outsiders who have each other ultimately having to kind of let bygones be, be bygones with someone they hate at the school to mm-hmm. kind of save the day. Uh, I think the thing to remember is that they're all ultimately high schoolers. They're all ultimately like 17 and they're hopefully going to grow up and not be awful human beings. Even the mean ones, hopefully like people were mean growing up. I remember at one point, this is maybe like sixth grade, there was an I hate Claire club. Like, you know, like, like people are mean, right? We all have those stories of, of, yeah. of that. And I'm, and then I'm now, if I met them, They'd be like, hey, Claire, how are you? Like, people right. do fill <laughs> out when you get older. You just have to survive yeah. it. You have to survive, like, high school, which is why the whole j- joke at the end is something along the lines of, I'm not going to get it right right now, but, you know, um, thank God that's over. Referring to, <laughs> referring, yes, to the, the trauma of what they just experienced, but also the trauma of high school, you know? Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. That's it real. can be a lot of fun, but it's also trauma. <laughs> Yeah. And I mean, I think that's like one of the sort of foundational themes of this, right? Like how you deal with bullying, how you deal with homophobia can either make you really strong or it can have a more um, negative impact on you, shall we say. Um, Was that something that was important to you thematically when you were making the film to kind of touch on the way that we... Huge can huge. can be strengthened I mean, or broken I by think trauma. That's the way. That's that's the reason we like Javier is that he chooses yeah. to protect people who he does not like. You know, he he chooses to save those who who harm him. That is goodness in its truest form, right? Like to the ability to um, not necessarily even forgive, but 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 n- n- not to let other people's. Uh, horrific behavior impact your humanity you know like because all we really have is our humanity and like our self-respect for ourselves and so if someone else is a monster we can't change that but we can change how we respond to them you know um yeah. I think that's kind of the lesson not to give too much away but that's kind of the lesson of the whole film at the end you know it doesn't mm-hmm. really help anyone to to continue the cycle of like violence or homophobia or um you know, uh, just cruelty that doesn't really behoove you and ultimately will weaken your spirit. And so I love that Javier is like pure of heart, like a lot of reluctant people are in these films, like, you know, um, in Lord of the Rings, there's a reluctant hero in Harry Potter. There's a reluctant hero. Like there's all these, in all these films, there's a classic reluctant hero and they are ultimately like their saving grace is they have this really good heart. And I think we all want to have a good heart and we all kind of, that's ultimately what saves him. Right. And that's like what will yep. hopefully save all of us as a culture. <laughs> no kidding. No kidding. We need help as a culture right now. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> well, I know I know that we're almost out of time, but we have one question that we really like to ask all of the directors that we have on our show. You know, a lot of the women identified directors have talked about how challenging this business can be for women, and I'm just wondering if you have found that that presents unique challenges or if you feel like this is something that's changed. Um, both. I think it's definitely really challenging. Um, yeah. I I am, um, <clears throat> excuse me, I've gotten much more, I've gotten so comfortable with who I am and I take um, very little BS now, but that's something that was developed. I had, at one point there was someone, I will not go into specifics, but someone who kind of really talked down to me uh, because they had more experience in a certain arena. Um, and I was steadfast about my vision, what I wanted, and I kept a kind of strong face on set, but I was really upset when I went home. I felt really stupid. I felt really invalidated. I had imposter syndrome and all that kind of stuff. And I think that, um, uh, that, you know, I'm not going to go into specifics, but it's happened on many different sets I've been on where I'm held to a different standard than I think my male counterparts would, um, in terms of being the boss. I think that people still have a hard time fully respecting women in authority. Uh, and so, and you're not, I think that I've had to become okay with, I'm not going to be liked by everyone 100% of the time. I have to just trust myself that I'm doing, that I, I am being kind and I'm being respectful, but I'm also being direct and I'm very clear about what I demand or need. 
And if mm -hmm. someone's pissed at me that they should go be pissed somewhere else because we have a film to make. And really, because ultimately, I, I, don't, I don't think they'd bring that to a dude. I just don't think they would. I don't think right. that they'd say, I need you to hold my hand and we need to talk through this moment where there's maybe miscommunication and and I need you to hold you to the standard and you need to apologize, all that. It's like, I will apologize to you in five hours when we are done. And also most of the time, it's not a big deal. It usually resolves itself pretty quickly. Um, I think that people just are not used to women running a set. And so I think there's still, there's still that resistance there um, and there's still dismissal and stuff like that, but it's getting better. And I think it'll get better and better with every film. And I think I'm, I'm really just, I've, I know what I'm worth. I know what I can do. So I kind of take charge of it and hopefully um, the tide will continue to turn. I love that. I love that. I feel like that's really inspiring and I'm identifying with it I like it yeah. <laughs> very, very strongly. Do you, last question, because I know we, I, you're already been so generous with your time. No, Do fine. you have, okay, good. Um, do you have any advice for young women who aspire to direct, who want to work in the horror genre and feel like maybe it's not an option for them? Mm -hmm. um, okay. Well, I'll just say that no one is going to give it to you. Um, I think when I made my first short film, it was really, really scary. And I remember the day before I was like, I think I'm going to cancel this. Oh, oh my God, you know. And then I thought, just push through. Um, it's never going to be perfect. Uh, you have to start somewhere. So find a friend who, who ha has a camera, find someone who wants to work with you, who likes your script, who likes your brain, who respects you and make something. And then, you know, uh, from there, it, it, you're gonna already from having made something be light years ahead of where you were the day prior when you hadn't made something, you know? So there's just, uh, ha it's fake it till you make it, I guess, is just, uh, as a director, there are times you don't know exactly what's gonna, what's the best moment or the best thing to do on set. And you have to be an actor. You have to, you have to control the room and control the, 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 the space and, take that time and then you can have all the insecurities that you want at home because I promise you every man does too. They just don't show it in the same way that women do. Um, and I think after a while that practice of kind of performing confidence just becomes genuine confidence. Like I, I, I realized a couple of years ago, I was like, oh, right. I'm not pretending anymore. Like I feel really at home <laughs> at ease. and that's amazing, but it was not true for quite a while. It was a lot of um, just really pushing myself and and being willing to feel a little stupid and have my internal voice be like, well, that was dumb. And then thinking, who cares? Like, no one actually cares. You're the one who cares the most. I think push, push past as best you can any insecurities and take action because every action you take will get you further and further ahead. Don't ask permission. Uh, Don't wait. Go for it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh. I love that. And I, I love, I mean, we've heard fake it till you make it, but I always feel like we're always in the fake it phase. So to hear that there is a make it phase, it's very exciting. Oh, <laughs> Genuinely, there's a make it phase. I mean, you know, you're always still growing, but I definitely feel like there's a shift. There's going to continue to be shifts. And then I'll go to the next level and I'll be like, oh, I got to fake it here. And then I can hopefully make it there. You know, it's just step by step. I love Great it. advice. <laughs> Thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us. It was so much fun getting to know you and to see the film. We loved it so much. We're so excited for other people to get to see it. I think it is going to be like, it's great for people who love horror. It's great for people who love drama. It's great for a queer audience that wants to see themselves represented in such a beautiful and complex and aspirational kind of way. So thank you so much for making such a beautiful and thank fun you. film. Thank you. Thank you for having me. All right. So that was our interview with Claire. She is amazing. So lovely. So generous with her time. So thoughtful. And it, she did the thing. I loved the movie going in. But then she did the thing where we talked about it and all the thought that went into it. And I ended up coming out on the other end loving the movie I even know, more. <laughs> I know. That always happens where like I have a not just a better like understanding of the film or a better appreciation, but like a real fondness more than I had before, you know? Like I Absolutely. enjoyed it, but now it has like a special place in my heart. <laughs> yeah. Like I'm thinking about when we were before we started the interview, when you were talking about how like you can see the influence of the like yeah, uh, we're specifically the site like the her psych background and and all of that in this. But I also thought her experiencing 
experience with bullying and yes. being the tall girl in class and having a I hate Claire meet like club, all those I things. I know. <laughs> it's so sad. But it makes sense that she would mm-hmm. want to make a film like this, that she would have been drawn to this script and that she could have that she would be the one who could like handle that bullying with a deft hand, yeah. you know? Yeah, right. Exactly. Personal experience clearly mm-hmm. allowed her to like um, approach it with nuance. And also, I loved hearing the way she talked about how she directs. Yeah. The way she like gets in there and like talks to them and like has these like intimate sort of yeah. dynamics. And kind of dials then- it in to like the different actors, like what they need and what they don't need. So yeah. cool. Because I think we think of like directors having sort of like a vi- like a larger big picture vision. Yeah. So to like hear about the nitty gritty and like the personal – again, this comes back to her psych background, right? Like mm-hmm. to be able to like get in there and understand what someone needs to be able to pull out that. She like – it's clear she has like this very subtle, gentle sort of touch of like drawing people out. That's fascinating to me. Yeah. I mean I think it's a really – it was really interesting to hear that, that she can, yeah, like you said, be gentle and like have a kindness to her instead of mm-hmm. sort of like punishing actors until they get what, you know, until you get what you need out of them. Right, right. This is not the uh, Kubrick <laughs> style of, or Hitchcock style. <laughs> oh, Lord. Oh, my God. But that poor actor. <laughs> I know. I know. <laughs> he was like, are you serious? <laughs> I never really thought about that, like how it would feel to put yourself into a place where you could be in somebody else's shoes and act that way and like yeah. get really emotional and then just have to like go to craft services and have lunch or something, you know? <laughs> I hope there was some good comfort food on the craft right. table that day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I also loved what she was saying about editing too. That oh, like how yeah. much you can like film a bunch of stuff, but it really you can hone in on the tone and stuff in the editing booth. That was very cool. Cause I, I think we forget about that part of movie making a lot. Yeah, definitely. Like I think we have this vision of like action and like mm-hmm. on the set, but you forget about how much the director actually how much of the direction happens after the fact yeah yeah i don't know it's always fascinating every time we talk to one of these incredible filmmakers it's always i feel like i learned something new about filmmaking i feel like i learned something new about the different approaches that people have Mm -hmm. and what that means and like how people come about honing and developing their craft and that like ties into the other thing like we talked about this off the top but honestly one of my favorite things was her advice for women and how encouraging she was and how honest and vulnerable she was about like faking it till you make it and and understanding that there is a make it at the end there's a make it <laughs> i know I'm, i love I'm that a, i have a I love... phd and fake it but, <laughs> <laughs> but I, I do think that's such great advice because i think it's really easy to look at people who have completed a film or who have won awards or had a film that did really well or whatever and think that they've always been that way and yeah. not thinking about like how much of the time they had to just kind of fake it and and push themselves and maybe mm-hmm. be insecure about things. It's like just because what you're seeing in an interview or on the red carpet or whatever doesn't show that yeah. it's still there and you have to like fight through that to to find that confidence. I don't know. I think it's really great advice. Yeah, really inspired. Like her film, like I felt really inspired. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was great. Uh, I love I you know what? I love doing this show. I just love it. And it's me moments too. like this that reminds me of why, you mm-hmm. know, we do what we do. Absolutely. All right. Well, that was our interview with Claire. We hope you really enjoyed it. I know I enjoyed doing it. So, um, and we have some more exciting interviews coming up for you soon. In the meantime, make sure to support this film and the art that Claire is making by checking this movie out on video on demand right now. Departing seniors, get it in your eyeballs. You will not regret it. All right. Any other thoughts before we move on? No. Perfect. Maybe you've already seen it and you have thoughts. Maybe you have a suggestion or something we missed. I don't know. You can always email us at rachel at zombiegirls.com. You can come chat with us over on the Zombie Girls Facebook page or slide into them DMs at ZG Podcast on Instagram, Twitter, and threads. If you're enjoying the show, you think, wow, this was really good. I want everybody to know how much I enjoyed it. There is a great way that you can do that. And that is by leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever it is that you're getting your pods. And then if you're looking for something spooky to watch tonight because you've already watched Watch Departing Seniors, then you should check out our video on demand and streaming calendar at zombiegirls.com. 
And then finally, if you want to support us, there's a handful of ways you can do that. Best of all, you can join our Patreon at patreon.com forward slash zombie girls where you get extended episodes, bonus episodes. And like we actually have so much bonus content right now. You definitely <laughs> want to check it out. I have been bum like I've been like doing reviews. Prolific. Right? <laughs> been prolific. Yeah, it's very impressive. They, and I have been turning uh, vintage looks. Like, there's all kinds of stuff happening over on the Patreon that you do not want to miss. So definitely check that out. Or if you just want to rep us, we do have merch that you can get at zombiegirls.com forward slash merch. All right. So that is it for us. Except for, I guess we got to talk about, we have some pretty exciting episodes <laughs> coming up. So why don't we do the tease thing? What are we doing on the next couple of episodes, Ariel? Okay. So we have some big plans that we are super excited about. First of all, yes. our good friend Casey from Bloody Good Horror is going to come yes. on to talk about Blood Diner directed by Jackie Kong. Mm. We are very excited about this one. It's one yeah. we sort of had in the our back pocket for a while and haven't done. Yeah. So it was very exciting to have Casey pick it because our sort of friendship origin story is yeah. very much connected to this film. It so. sure is. <laughs> we will tell you about that on that episode. We also have an extremely exciting interview coming up. Another more deadly director's cut where this time we are going to be talking to director Zelda Williams and Woo-hoo! writer Diablo Cody yes. who made Lisa Frankenstein. Yes. We are I mean, so thrilled. <laughs> I'm not trying to tip my hand, but um pretty excited to talk about this. One. Yeah, me too. Me too. <laughs> so excited. I can't wait. That's what we're doing. So make sure you follow along so you get to hear all of that. And I think yeah. that's going to do it for today. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of More Deadly Director's Cut. We hope you enjoyed our interview. Thank you so much to Claire Cooney for giving us yes. her time. It was yes. amazing. Thank you so much. All right. That's it for us. Bye, everybody. everybody thanks to everyone for listening and thanks to my co-host ariel who is always willing to come on here and geek out about horror with me and finally thanks to the women who make the horror films we love so much production on this episode was done by yours truly editing was done by ariel messman rucker and our theme music is more deadly by elizabeth kyle and eric newell